here we are. Another episode for all of you YouTube viewers. Ooh. We have a little bit different setup today. Fancy. Yeah. I'm feeling fancy. Well, we're going to have consistent light anyway. We shouldn't have lights going on and out. Yeah. You brought your whole family over and my whole family's here. And we normally record up in a loft above a den in our house. And the den is actually where kids like to congregate and play the most. So it's going to be a little too loud. So we relocated into actually my wife's studio. Yeah. It's nice of her to let us in here for a little bit. Yeah. You did a great job. For those of you listening, if I had to describe it, we've got this nice, just this long rectangular table. Luke found a lava lamp and put in the middle. Mm. No, like, this is all my wife. My it's wife, all her stuff. My wife, for anyone that doesn't know, has a vintage clothing shop. So most everything that we're seeing in here has some sort of a vintage. Has a use. That lava lamp actually is from the 70s. I see with the, yeah, it's probably. <laughs> you know, but we, we just saw a table here in her studio. We, we just pulled it away from the wall and I took as little off of the table as I could to not have to <laughs> break or relocate. Yeah. No, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. Fresh off the road. Yeah. I'm glad we loaded everybody up and came over. Get a, get a little episode in the studio again before I had to take off on another run. Yeah, I I was, I guess I would have been back. I was supposed to go down to Phoenix myself this past few days. Which is where I was, yeah. Which is where you were. We were coming back from. Yeah, I had some continuing education I needed to go to down there. I ended up not making it, not for lack of trying. Well, I'm just going to get in this whole story and tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to say what, because it was all, because last I talked to you, because I was all like, oh man, you should come down to a NASCAR race. And you're like, I'm actually going to be there next week, missed you by a week for this conference. And then next I talk to you, you're just like, I don't, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> it sounds like it's quite a story. I can't wait to hear the situation. All right. So we have animals that need to be taken care of. I have it set up daily, especially in the wintertime. You're feeding, you're feeding your livestock every day because yeah. they don't have, you know, they don't have grass to graze. We always, the country folk just call it chores, choring. You yep. always got chores. You got chores. Your regular chores. So I was going to be gone. I was leaving Wednesday morning, getting back Saturday, late morning. Okay. So I needed to have the animals set up for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So three days I could feed them. Cause I was, my flight was like, was like, I think we boarded like 5.20 AM. So do you, you get someone to kind of, kind of watch stuff a little bit or do you just pre-feed everything? And I pre-feed everything. And then everyone around here knows enough to keep an eye on what needs to be kept eye on that could be problematic. And then yeah. okay. when that inevitably does happen, then I'm in a different state <laughs> trying to make a call to someone to come what are you gonna do fix something but anyway monday and tuesday evening after my normal dental work we're going to be spent just getting everything in order getting hay hauled getting hay fed for multiple days putting enough hay out so it should last for three days while i'm gone you know that was that was the plan we have these dairy goats and i the tv show breaking bad there is a i'm gonna i get some I got to think about this. Uh -huh. The dairy goats are either Lamaca or Lamanca. Oh, you're... And there's... There's, some, a, there's a character named Tuco Salamanca. 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 Yeah. And I, so I, I can never... <laughs> for the life of me, I cannot get the name of this you dairy breed Salamancas. So it's either Lamanca or Lamaca, but whatever. It's a, it's a dairy breed. And we've got, a, we've got three of these dairy goats that we milk for our own purposes. You know, milk, cheese, kefir, whatever. 
these goats do not breed year round. They have a breeding quick. Can we do a quick word of the episode? Did you call it kefir? I did. Dang it. All this time. You called it kefir? Kefir. Like the 99% of the rest of the world that mispronounces that product. Ah, it's kefir. I want to call it kefir, but every time, if you go buy a commercial kefir, Uh most of them right on the, right on the label actually have the pronunciation they do? Yeah. Oh, I miss that every time. <laughs> kefir. Okay, roll on. Anyway. So I, sh- I should just call it kefir because that's what people know it by, but it's actually kefir. pronounced kefir. <laughs> kefir. Okay. Anyway. Got it. I lost my train of thought. Okay, so, so you got the dairy the, goats. Okay, these, goats, three of these, these goats do not breed year-round. Mm-hmm. They have a, a window of breeding that they, they'll be receptive in. So that allows you that you can keep the, the, the bucking with them at times where like, like our sheep, for instance, breed year-round. They'll, they'll cycle you around, so that that means you can have lambs at very unopportune times. If so, you're, what you're saying is, if yeah, so a, a sheep or most livestock, they will produce eggs. They'll cycle year round all the time. So, if a, a breeding animal, a bull, buck, whatever, got in with them at the wrong time, you're saying they could have a baby at an inopportune time of the year. Yeah. Cold winter. Inopportune based off of what your setup is. What your setup is. But you look like elk and deer. They don't have babies year round. They don't breed mm-hmm. year round. They have a window that they breed in. And that's the that's goat. It. There's breeds of goats that are a lot more like elk or deer. They have a, a window that they will be receptive to breeding. And then they don't the rest of the year. Because you wouldn't want like in Montana, it would not be nice to have little baby fragile goats in the dead of winter. Correct. Okay. For whatever reason, our goats that we have red earlier than they ever have before. So that meant that they were really <laughs> close to having babies now. <laughs> One of them actually last Thursday or Friday had babies and we had a big storm then got really yeah. cold. So we ended up bringing her babies inside and I was out hand milking her and we were bottle feeding the babies in the house to keep them warm. And I've done this before when, some, when something's been born in a storm with these with goats and those moms usually will will take those babies back over the course of a few days i've never had an issue at all so my my thought was we'll get them through this storm keep them warm yeah go back out into the barn and mama can nurse them while i'm gone the other problem with these dairy breeds or well with the ones we have specifically is their their teats are just a couple inches off the ground <laughs> okay. so when this when the when the little kid you know, the newborn goat is looking to nurse. They look much higher up kind oh, of in the, they're not used look, to looking right on the ground. It's called the armpit, the back armpit. Their, <laughs> their nose is way up higher, you know, looking to where to latch onto. And if you, if you don't go out there and actively work with them, they'll probably never get any feed and die. Yeah. These babies. Okay. They, and even when you're out there putting their head down and putting the teeth in their mouth, they still fight it. They don't want to be that low. Uh-huh. And so it can be a little bit of a, a bugger to get some of these little kids started on moms with these dairy moms. A lot of dairy animals, dairy cattle, dairy goats, when the babies are born, they're taken off of the mom virtually immediately because the animal is, is being used for milk production. And so you're, you're not sharing the milk with the baby. You're, you're taking all the milk. So it's kind of a pain in the butt to get these babies started. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you can, but the breed whether they i'm i'm sure that they have been 
genetically groomed to have big udders, which means big teeth slow close to the ground. They naturally would never do this. The breed would go extinct because those babies can't find. Anyway. Yeah. So I've, I, this goat that had the two babies, she still looked big, but you can get your, you can get your hands underneath their tummy and kind of lift them and shake them a little bit. And if they've got a baby still inside of them, you can often feel that, that baby kind of moving in there. So you go, okay, she's got something retained. And she still looked big and I, you know, I was doing that multiple times. And I couldn't feel anything. So I, I thought, all right, she, that's it. No more babies in her. About a day and a half after these, these were born and kept in the house, I go to take them outside back to mom, get them going on the mom. I don't know this is Sunday, I guess. And she had pushed out a little tiny third triplet and it was born dead. And, and I guess it was so small. I couldn't feel it inside her. Okay. But pushing out that other baby, it triggered all that hormone response again, where now she's latched and hooked onto this, this dead triplet that she's pushed out uh-huh. and wants nothing to do with the two that we brought in the house. <sighs> like, won't even let them close to her. Really? So, uh, so <laughs> now my plans of having these two goats on their mom while I'm in Arizona isn't going to work. So tell my wife, look, you're just going to have to keep bottle feeding them. You're going to have to go out and milk the goat. Which, which is a lot on top of everything that's already going on here. She's milked her before, you know, because we we do keep goat milk when when we have goats that have freshened, meaning they've had babies and are producing milk. So Tuesday, Monday night, I just did all the milk and feeding the babies on my own. I got them set up in the barn, so they're not in the house anymore. And Tuesday night, I'm going to go out and make sure my wife is all set up. I've got an electric milker, easy to do. She's used it before, just refresh her. I go out and I guess it's about six o'clock, go out to milk and one of the other goats has the head of a kid sticking out of her oh, and it's, she's, I don't know how long it's been sticking out of her. No progression on this baby. No, no hooves, just the head. And so that usually, so when these babies are born, they come out with kind of their chin resting on their, their, their front, their hooves. front two yeah. hooves. Yeah. But when they get that head out like that, especially uh, sometimes on first time lamb use the first time they lamb they'll have a bigger lamb inside of them and they'll the the baby will be positioned right but because it's their first time everything's just smaller and the head will get stuck they'll get just past the the ears essentially and then it's stuck and then if you don't get it out that baby will die but they can last like that for a little while because they're still hooked up to their umbilical cord yeah but only for a little while so i see this and she, this is a, a, a doe goat who's had multiple babies. So she has never had problems. So that indicates to me that, that either one front leg or both back legs are positioned incorrectly on this little goat okay. to be born. I think it's dead because it's, it's heads out. It's cold. It's mouth is cold. Not no, okay. So I, I kind of reach in and yeah, I don't remember if one or both legs was back, but something was back, got, got a position and got the baby out. And I'm just like, oh, of course this is happening. <laughs> As you're Six trying, o'clock right? at night, I mean, my flight's five tomorrow, five in the morning, or a little after five. And I, so I get going, I don't know, I get the baby out, get it on the ground. I'm kind of irritated. Like, I can't believe, I can't believe this. Of course the timing. <laughs> And that little baby getting out of there, I, you know, laid there for a second and started shaking its head. It was still alive. <laughs> Were you like, whoa? <laughs> so I went, all right. I said, let's do this. I kind of separated this mom, put her and the baby. She starts licking it off. I get them separated kind of by themselves. Milk the original one. That you came out to do in the first place. 
milk her, feed her two babies. And then now I have to go feed a bunch of extra hay to the cattle so they can last for three days while I'm gone. So I go out and get all the cattle fed up, everything taken care of, fed and come back. And that goat had pushed out two more babies after that. So now there's <laughs> triplet goats on and it's, I don't know, it's like eight or eight 30 now at night. These new babies who cannot find these low hanging teeth. These low hanging teeth. You swing back. <laughs> so, and well, the other thing, this is a Tuesday night, another huge storm's coming in. Kind of an unforecasted storm. Yeah. Last minute forecast. Huge storm coming in. So now it's starting to snow. Temperature's dropping. These babies are on the ground. They're, they're wet. So I gather them all up, take them inside, towel them all off, get them dry, and go back out with some jars, bottles, so I can milk colostrum out of this yeah, girl and start, you get, know, get them a belly full yeah which once they get that belly full of colostrum it just like a it's like spark. it's like plugging in the yeah plugging in the cord so, man they really go i get back out there and the third goat's now in labor <laughs> <laughs> and it's i mean that's what you want typically you want all your all your stock to calve or lamb together you know you don't want it drug out over weeks and months you want things concise, like, okay, all the babies are out. So in any other situation, this would have been like... Is ideal. Yeah, ideal. Yeah, <laughs> like ideal. Sweet. Other than storm, storm, flight, in, which is now you're probably within six hours. And the of other thing, if this was sheep or cows, cool, get the babies on the ground, done, because they find the teats, no problem. Yeah, Everything's good. The milkers. It's these milking goats <laughs> where you have to go out there and kind of teach these babies where to, to find the find the nutrition so anyway this third goat she has she has twins and i'm i'm like i'm not sure what to do now i we have human twins <laughs> i'm gonna be gone i can't have my wife milking three goats taking, taking care, care of twins. twins so i'm you know it's like 11 o'clock at night now by the time all these babies are on, i've got them all dried off and i'm sitting here, i'm like i don't know do i just just let them die figure it out if they can find a teat they live if they can't they die which I don't know what to do so I'm, it's like because you can't that party is just like no so I'm, I'm just like okay what am I doing what am I doing thinking 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 so I what I decided to do is I took all the babies away from the moms and I I built a little pen in the barn bedded it down good I have a an, it's like an outdoor if you're indoor heating pad and again you were going to remove all the babies to milk these goats, typically anyway. So it's not like you're like, oh, I'm just taking all these kids away. It, this is what you do. Well, what I would have done, deal. what I would have done is I would have, they'd have been like half and half at it. We'd have pulled the milk we wanted and let the babies go in and uh -huh. okay. get what they wanted. We'd share essentially. Okay. But that takes a little bit of work to get that all set up. And I'm leaving, leaving for time. three days. I don't yeah. have time and my wife can't do it. So I take all the babies. I have this heating pad. It's a hard plastic out indoor. It's an outdoor indoor. I mean, if you're in a barn or something, you don't want out in the rain. But get that set up. All the babies have got colostrum in them. So they're all doing good. They're all, you know, up and good. I get them set up and I decide, okay, I'm preparing the instructions for my wife the next day. Look, you've got these three goats. Just get a jar, milk as much as you can get out of them. 
if you get a, a bit out of them twice a day, that's probably going to be enough to keep them from getting mastitis over three days. I can come back and we'll, we should be okay. Uh-huh. You're probably not going to get as much in these babies as, as ideal, but it's going to be enough for three days till I get, get through everything. We'll, we'll be all right. It's going to work out. Yep. So I think we've got that all set up. But by the time I get all the pens done, everything like situated and ready to go, it's, I think it's about three in the morning. Which is about when you have to go to the airport to catch a... Oh, and it's been <laughs> crazily storming. All this time. The whole, the whole night, just crazy snow coming down. <laughs> so I haven't packed yet. I haven't done anything to go. So I go in. I'm, I'm just, I'm covered in blood, afterbirth, milk, milk manure. <laughs> I mean, so I come in, take a shower, pack quickly, and now it's time to uh, one of the twins woke up. So I fed one of the human twins, (laughs) not the goat twins. And then I, I head out the door and snow plows aren't out, you know, that late haven't been out. So I don't know, we're about three 45, 4 AM. And it is just snow drift after snow drift down the road. So in the truck, I'm like, boom, 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 boom. (laughs) You can like feel it and hear it hitting every one of these drifts. All the way into the airport, get there, checked in. I'm like, okay, I think it's going to work. <laughs> we board at 5.20 a.m. And I hadn't, I hadn't slept that whole night. And the night before had been a, a rough night with our human twins. I think I slept well, you, three or four hours. Your normal flow. Yeah, I was going to say your typical night. <laughs> it's been between the, the early stages and now the teething. It's three to four hours is kind of like, hey, that's a pretty good night for me. Very little sleep the past 48 <laughs> So 520, get on the plane, take my seat. And I almost immediately was asleep. I'm like, I get to Salt Lake. I'll wake up when we, when we land. Yeah. And so I, I, I woke up and I looked out the window and we're still in Great Falls. So <laughs> we're on the ground. And I was like, I, I did. So I mean, you just dozed off for a minute or two. I thought I did. Uh-huh. I looked out and they're de-icing the plane. I'm like, okay, I must just dozed off. Then I looked at my clock and it's 720. Wait, and you we, boarded at we boarded 520. at 5.20 and I'd been sleeping for two hours on the plane. <laughs> it hadn't moved. And I kind of hear, I'm kind of waking up and I hear the the pilot. Yeah, this de-icing's taking a little longer than we thought. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, a little? I don't know what's happened. Like, I don't know when we started you de-icing. It all, I yeah. don't know what's going on. So we sit there for a long time more and de-ice. And then finally we head out to the runway and we sit on the runway for a long time. Now, and and you get, the guy's Great Falls Airport, it's a one runway type. It's not like you're waiting in line for all these planes to take off. It's, you're kind of the plane. So we <laughs> sit there waiting and the snow's still just coming down like crazy. And it's, it's a kind of a heavier wet snow and temperature wise, it's kind of melting, kind of freezing. It's just like this in-between mess. Yeah. And finally the pilot comes on and goes, oh, there's a disabled plane on the runway ahead of us that needs to get out of the way before we can take off. And they're working on getting the disabled plane off of the runway. And they keep saying, they say it should be 10 minutes. I don't know how many, (laughs) over the course of hours, I heard 10 (laughs) minutes so many times. So they finally get the disabled plane off the runway and we start taxing back to the gate. He goes, we've been waiting so long, we're out of fuel. (laughs) So, (laughs) So we taxi back to the gate, fuel up. And he goes, unfortunately, the airport has closed the runway because they can't keep it plowed off enough. So, so, so by now it's like eight, eight ish. But they should have it plowed off in about 10 minutes, <laughs> they're telling us. So we fuel up, taxi back to the runway and sit there waiting for them to get it plowed off enough that we can 
take off and we just sit and sit and sit. And then we start heading back to the gate and the pilot's like last night. So this crew flies a plane in the night before. Yeah. And then they stay and then they fly out again. So it's one crew that flies in on plane. And anyway, he's like the flight in last night that we came in on was delayed. And because it was delayed coming in, we are out of flight hours. <laughs> We've worked the maximum hours we can. So we have to go back to the gate. We can't fly. <laughs> and we have no backup crew. <laughs> so they're, we're, they're looking around the United States to see where they can fly a crew in to fly this flight. But we don't know what we don't know, but we Who just knows? don't, we can't fly. So get out, sit there at the airport, you know, trying to figure out, are you guys, did you find someone to come in? How long is it going to take? And they said, well, we might have one, but we don't know. And it just turned out that they end up not being able to get one. So the flight <laughs> just canceled. The, the, and then the thing that's horrible and crazy about this all is about one o'clock in the afternoon, sun had come out, storm gone, just all beautiful. the pavement, everything burned off. Roads yeah. are totally fine. So if this crew had not been out of hours and we just hang out for a couple more hours, but, and then we fly out of there because they had no backup crew and they couldn't get any crew in. This flight was just <laughs> totally canceled. And I think they only had one other flight that day to Salt Lake completely full. And then the next day, well, I, I couldn't go the next day because I would have missed the, missed my, the whole course. You're there. So we <laughs> sat on that, that plane for right around four hours from I got on at 5.20 and I think we got off just a little after nine o'clock. We finally got off that plane. So I sat on the airplane in Gray Falls, driving from the, the, the runway to the gate back and forth. And then it didn't happen. So, huh. So that was, that was what, so I came home and I, I bet there was one person that was pretty happy that the, the pilots ran out of hours and that was your wife. <laughs> but she was like, you know, not the worst thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> Came home and at least I didn't have to feed cows for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. And you probably got more sleep on the plane than you had got, you know, otherwise. <laughs> so, and you, yeah. probably, you probably have a nice travel voucher now too, I suppose. No, they actually totally refunded it. Oh, did they? Because it wasn't me canceling it. But have you ever used Expedia? Yeah, I think so. That's usually who I use and I've always been great with them. I always pay a few dollars more for it you know, the free cancellations of car rentals or hotels. And I got in this hotel that advertised a free car rental with the hotel. Oh, and as long as I canceled 24 hours before I get a full refund. Well, I get a hold of Expedia and say, look, you know, I was on the plane. They canceled my flight. I, you know, that's it. Yeah. And they wouldn't give me a full refund. And then they said, I got a partial refund for the hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona this time of year. Hotels aren't super cheap. Right. <laughs> in Scottsdale, especially. So I, and so, and then Expedia, they said, and then you, we can't give you any refund on the car. And I said, well, your advertisement said it was the free rental with the right. hotel. They said, well, it was advertised as that, but it's kind of just included in the cost. You know, and so so we went round and round and I said, like, this is crazy. I said, this is totally (laughs) out of my hands. Right. I said, I always go through Expedia. Look at my, look at my account. How many years I've used Expedia. Come on. They said, well, this is actually a hotel policy. I said, okay, if I call the hotel and get approval. Right. Okay. So I, I say, you just, I, I think I was doing this all over chat on the computer. So I said, hold on. I called the hotel. I'm like, 
Now we have nothing to do with that. Expedia <laughs> buys all these rooms from us. Ah. That's totally their policy. Ah. So I came back on and said, oh, the hotel told me this. Like, no, that's not true. I said, so they're lying? Well, I don't know if they're actually lying, but. <laughs> so I said, all right. I said, I'm talking about this on my podcast. For anyone that wants to use Expedia <laughs> next time, they may consider not. Got a microphone, baby. No, I didn't say that, but, <laughs> but I am doing it. because so I got a bunch of angry wheelers out there. And they're never going to use your website again. It's <sighs> frustrating. <laughs> so it just all lined up to be. Wow. That's quite a, that's quite a day. Couple days, man. Couple <laughs> days of frustration. You have an ability to come across some of the most interesting scenarios like that in your life though. Cause that's not uncommon. Things that just compound on you like that. Not the first time. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's pretty regular. Probably won't be the last. Probably not. But that's been my past few days. Yeah. Frustrating for sure. Uh, yeah, the whole wheel of life rolls on. So it's it's not just the few hundred dollars on the hotels reservations. It's I had three days off of work. Oh yeah, he booked everything out, and so all my staff is gone. I don't have any staff to call in because they're like, "Oh, he's gone. We, we're going to plan stuff too." So I can't just go. Oh, I'm home. I'm back. Yeah, actually, like I'm going to come clock in. So three <laughs> days of no production on my work. <laughs> I have to go still take this class. So I still have to take time off again somewhere at some point to go do it. So I'm going to say before this is all said and done versus lost production time. Yeah. All this stuff. I'm going to be probably as far, not me personally, but as far as my office, I'm probably going to be hitting $30,000, $40,000 out on this. It's just, and we're going to blame it all on logbooks because I guarantee, oh, I can't guarantee this. But if airline pilot hours or anything like trucking hours, which they probably are similar, those pilots by sitting in that airplane doing nothing, just sitting there waiting like the rest of everybody, those hours counted against their overall clock. Whereas if they could have just said, well, we haven't actually done anything, so let's not count these hours against our time. You know, and someone out there listening that's a pilot, we actually do have a, a SkyWest pilot that listens. Hmm. And, right. <laughs> I think actually their whole night they stayed in Great Falls counts on their time. Does it? I think that all counts. should ask him about that. He'd know know right exactly what happened. But anyway, yeah, the old log books, man, they can come to to bite you. So that's, yeah. Real quick story. This is funny. You mentioned this about the, your, your goat situation. I was at one of Freddie's basketball games Friday night and talking to an old friend that they run a lot of cattle. And a lot of sheep out in Winnet, Montana, which is kind of getting on the, the western edge of eastern Montana, the sagebrush country. And they, one of the last places around that runs a lot of sheep. And I said, how's, how's things? And he's like, oh, I don't even know where to start. And you're like, oh, man, give me the, give me the nutshell version here. You know, because we're just sitting there waiting for the ball game to start. And he goes, oh, the nutshell version is last year. We had a couple of sheep that had babies early, you know, somehow got pregnant early on. So they're not going to lamb when they were supposed to. Like you were saying, sheep, you can lamb them year round. They have all their sheep supposed to lamb in April. Well, this is like in you know late January or something. And they see they have a couple of these sheep that have gone off in their own way out in the sagebrush in a storm having babies. And they gathered up the couple that they could find. There's like three or four of them, got them hauled in. 
And at the very end, there sounded like they were looking through binoculars or something. They see this one old you way out. I mean, way out across the sagebrush, through the snow and all the just mud and muck and whatever. And the wife was like, oh, we better go get that, that one. And the husband's like, we're not taking my new pickup out and bombing it through the sagebrush. There's no way them little lambs are going to survive. Just whatever. They're, they're just whatever, you know. At the end of a crisis, you're always like, like you were saying, should I just let them just, uh, just throwing your hands up? Well, he's doing that. And so they decided to let him go. Well, they, so they do their normal lambing season, whatever. They bring in the lambs later on and they see these two nice, robust little black face, little bucks, little long tailed bucks. And anyway, turned out they went out during breeding season and were big enough because they were born so early to breed a bunch of the ewes. <laughs> and so now fast forward to this week and same storm, same weather pattern that you've been dealing with. He said, we have 70 unsheared ewes just dropping lambs all over the place out there. Just, I think they have like six or 800 sheep. So he goes, these two stinking little lambs that somehow survived the storm last year went and they bred all these ewes, just had a heyday. And now we've got, you know, and normally they like to shear the sheep so that the, the lambs can get at the udders and stuff. And cause it's, it's oh, a fiasco. Man. We're almost through it, but yeah. So oh, it's, some, it's a tough week for the, for the sheep and goat folks, man. <laughs> I I every year these dorper sheep I don't know if this is normal maturity with other breeds but I every year seem to take my lambs and wean them earlier and earlier because there's always a couple early maturing little lamb rams Oh, this last year I had two and a half month old lambs right a couple years which is so like to, to give you guys an idea this is like probably the human equivalent of like a 13 year old, I don't know, maybe less than that, you know, 12, 13 year old human being able to reproduce. And, and this is the, this is the thing that's to me is those is not the, the ability to produce semen that's viable. Uh It's those little rams have to be standing (laughs) almost almost straight up, straight up and down, maybe even just to reach. (laughs) Like, like I, I, they, you know, they might kind of, I've seen some of the shorter bulls that breed the tall cows and they kind of have a hop where they kind of hop up. Oh man. It's probably, I don't, it's probably pretty funny to see. But those, man, those Dorper ewes are, like when they're, when they're cycling on to be bred, they, they're pretty aggressive are about they? it. So, <laughs> so they're like, well, okay. Oh man. But yeah, I, I totally feel for those, uh, your buddy out there. Cause yeah. Unexpected. And they're out, you know, in sagebrush and they're just out. So he's like, ah. If we bring them in, we got to keep them in the corrals and you can't just bring the 70. You bring the six or 800 in. Oh, man. And he goes, ah, we're just, <laughs> what do you do? Part, yeah. of, part of ranching. Yeah. So, well, anyway. <laughs> Here we are now. <laughs> oh, I, I wanted to touch on this. I, I think we're, we're transitioning into being like a, a bod, NASCAR podcast. Uh-huh. Because... I don't know how we're not going to talk about NASCAR after seeing the Xfinity race oh, last yesterday. If there's anybody who has even sp- had a little bit of a spark of interest in the Xfinity NASCAR series, will have seen this. If Jackson can go into more detail on this. I'm just going to touch on it. One of the drivers, something happened to his car during the race and they disqualified him and told him to park the car. 
which generally means going to the pit. Yeah, like you're out of the race, you know, pull off. And so he said, <laughs> all right, cool. And he went right to the starting line and got out of his car and left a park. Left the park. on the racetrack. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so basically what had happened was he was involved in a, in a wreck. Usually when wrecks happen, you know, a car either gets smashed and they're out of the race because they can't run anymore. Mechanically, they're just too smashed up. And when that happens, there's usually, you know, one car gets smashed out and maybe one or two cars take on damage, but it's not race ending. So you pull into the pits and your crew kind of looks it over and goes, okay, we can cut this piece off. And they have this really strong like tape, just basically tape. And if you can tape and, you know, kind of re-aerodyne your pieces and parts and get it patched up, you know, the rest of the racetracks just run in caution laps. You can get back out there and still get back in the race. So this guy, and I, I should have looked up his name. I can't remember, but he, and he looks all the part of the stereotype, stereotypical, got the, the raging mullet and the, kind of the goatee and area. And so he was involved in this accident, pulls into the pits. They put a, just a massive amount of tape over his front bumper and his hood to try to hold his bumper up together with his hood. And the race conditions in Atlanta yesterday were, it was unseasonably cool. And so the tape didn't stick very well. So he gets back out there, makes like one or two laps and the patch, you know, going that fast comes loose and flies off onto the track. And it's not like it's, you know, someone's bumper is laying on the track. It's a, it's tape. And apparently there's a rule which he was not privy to. They had the, they played the radio between him and his spotter, whoever is crew chief. And it said, hey man, apparently if any repair jobs fail and leave debris on the track, it's an automatic disqualification. Didn't, we didn't really know that, but that's the case. So they're saying to park it and they're like, you can kind of, I don't know. You can tell on the radio he's mad and they're like, you, you know, do what you want, but that's, that's where we're at. He took do what you want, you know, to the fullest and yeah, drove it around and parked it right on the, you know, the checkered line that runs across the racetrack and just parked it there and walked away. Just peace signs and <laughs> just like, I'm out. <laughs> Pretty iconic. But that's the kind of stuff. This is why when we were talking last week about a lot of people love, and this has happened in the cup before. I think it happened with Bubba Wallace in the past, but people love this. They're just like, oh man, like, can he do that? <laughs> What's going to happen to him? But that's Xfinity Series racing. It's everybody's, you know, pretty gritty and it's a little less polished. And it's like, whatever. I don't know. I'm leaving my car on the track. I'm out of here. Yeah. So, so that was fun. Okay. Number eight car didn't do too bad. No, we, we've been, we've been hanging in there. Atlanta yesterday was a, I think, what did I say? Eighth, seventh, seventh. seventh he got seventh. Yep. Yeah. Seventh place. So continuing to kind of finish in that top, top 10. We, of course you want to, you want to finish higher always, but remaining in the top 10 is, is good for our number eight. But uh, yeah. And then Josh has been up in the cup. Do you think his, do you think that strong finish in Atlanta was cause he picked up some of those cheating, <laughs> cheating ways some from Hendrix? From the week before. You guys, this is crazy. <laughs> I've like, I've had no interest in NASCAR my whole life. And now I can't get enough of it. It seems like yeah, a lot of drama this week. So last week in Phoenix, so Josh Berry, yep. driver for the number eight car. Filling in. With Jackson's on the number eight team. Yeah. Josh Berry is going up to the, the Cup Series to, to drive for Hendricks Motorsports. Yeah, Hen who, Hendrick Motorsports, who has the number nine, the Napa car with Chase Elliott, who injured his leg and is out for a while snowboarding a couple weeks ago. 
So yeah, Josh, and he finished top 10 in the Cup Series, which is big time. But Hendrick Motorsport, <laughs> they they did good in Phoenix, but they did good because they were... <laughs> no. In, nah. Were they injecting nitrous or something into the engines? <laughs> you would think based on the... It was some... They, they handed down historic penalties. Some of the worst penalties seen in all of NASCAR history to the entire team. And it's a pretty, it's pretty hotly debated this last week as to whether it was severe considering what caused the tweaks. So I'll give you the quick rundown based on my limited understanding and <laughs> you can go, but they made some, some big changes in cup series racing. They came out with this new car they call the next gen car. If you've noticed watching cup series this year, they kind of almost look like a hatchback. They don't have a big trunk on them anymore. They're kind of a just they changed they really changed the design of the car and the reason why they did this was ultimately to try to make racing a little more affordable i don't know the details of that but that was the goal behind this new car is parts will be more uniform and a little easier to get a hold of along with that came that they and i don't know what it was just, like in the on. past I, i'm losing you okay <laughs> They're going from trunks to hatchbacks to make <laughs> racing at the NASCAR level more affordable. Well, <laughs> when, you, when you say it like that, the, it sounds silly. Just the, yeah. the millions and millions and millions of dollars. Right. Now, now, all, you know. It's, it's a lot. It's a, like, they get a lot of money tied up. And I, I know it's like, what are we pinching pennies? What's, and this is a debate. Some people are like, this it is, makes sense though, because if you look at, if you go to the, the dealership and you need to get the most economical, cheapest car, it's always a hatchback. <laughs> so it makes sense that they're going to hatchback and NASCAR <laughs> to, to make it more affordable. Like, again, again, a great reason to watch Xfinity series racing is because we still have the good old big, big back end, the old, <laughs> trunked cars oh man see and here's my problem some of these guys they listen to this and I, they're going to give me some feedback and say now you you really you either really nailed that or you really <laughs> screwed up your descriptions on what you're talking about yeah. uh, so anyway so what happened with <laughs> I commute in a Honda Fit <laughs> that's the gas mileage is pretty decent so I commute in a Honda Honda Fit so I'm just thinking of Man, look at those little Honda Fit cars buzzing around that track. <laughs> is that kind of what you're talking about, or not? I better, I better just go Google I'll, this. I'll Google it because all I know that was one of their trying to make this more affordable. Better oh. gas mileage <laughs> with that. <laughs> just a little little Anyway, I'm sorry. Oh man, that gave me a good laugh. I'm sure the NASCAR people are rolling right now. <laughs> so, so anyway, from what I from what I understand, how I follow it and understand it is that part of this change up in cars, they have a, a singular supplier for all the parts now, for all everything for the cars, other, you know, body parts and whatnot. They get different engines from different, different outfits. But so <laughs> apparently this, as they're working out the, you know, when you change anything, you start something new, there's always a kind of a, a learning curve, a little, there's going to be some bumps in the road. And Hendrick, I, I believe, had some some hood louvers, which are little arrow panel devices or whatever that go on the hood. And they they received their louvers from the supplier and which were supposed to all be they're supposed to all be exact. And you measure them and they're all over the place. They're not a uniform. They're supposed to be, but they're not. So Apparently they had allegedly, that's what I should say. Allegedly they modified one. 
or two or whatever on all these cars to get the, the louvers to fit properly because none of them were the same. So they figured, well, they're all over the place is what I'm guessing their mentality was. And so if they're all over the place, we're going to do what we need to do, tweak and make this fit where it's supposed to go. And so when they were getting their cars inspected pre-race, it was noticed like, wow, that's, that's been modified. Take it off. Use one of the unmodified pieces that fits. And so that's what they did. So when they raced, I believe they're, they actually were using the proper, quote unquote, proper louvers. But later it came down, they decided to drop the hammer and they, I think they fined each team $100,000 and then suspended the crew chiefs off each team as well. And then took points, a bunch of points away too, for each, from each team, like massive amounts of points for, for where they are. So yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of Honda fit. That's all I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, anyway, so yeah, I don't know this. Is this going to be a thing that we weekly during the season, we're going to have a little NASCAR Probably, I don't know. You know, when I'm on the road, there's probably going to be some NASCAR stuff. I do have some pretty big stretches where there's no NASCAR, like from like mid-June or uh, no, from like next week into June, I got nothing. So we'll have some some dead weeks, but I'll probably give you an update on how the old number eight's doing. Yeah, I, I am admitting I'm starting to keep an eye on it. Huh? You said mom. Our mom is even... <laughs> Into NASCAR now. She watched the whole race with me yesterday. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, pretty good. Well, uh, speaking of saving some money or making things more affordable, I think that's a nice transition into, that is. Uh, <laughs> that's into some um, miles per gallon talk. <laughs> this is going to be a, a, a thing that we're going to be talking about kind of extended because there's so, so much, so many places to go with this. So I think we're going to be a little more serious on digging into this a little bit today. And there'll be more to come. I know Jackson has a guest he wants to bring on that's that's going to help reinforce a little bit of of things that he's learned and and really trucks by. You've heard heard us joke around a little bit that the, the savings in fuel that Jackson gets from focusing on fuel mileage buys him a boat or buys him X Y Z. You know, we we say it kind of jokingly, but couldn't be more serious, and, right? Yeah. And I'm going to just give you a, a listeners. A quick little example that I just quickly figured on some paper before we started here. I asked Jackson what maybe an average uh, haul for him is during the year. And he said a thousand miles mm-hmm. one way. So yeah. 2000 miles round trip. I put diesel in my truck last night and paid $4 and five cents. So that's the number I used. And Jackson has a cab overs, his Peterbilt cab over maybe Four miles a gallon, roughly. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting between. Yeah, when I was running it, hauling cattle, I was between four and four eight, four, you know, five flat maybe. If I was really doing good. All right, let's just call it four, and then your your more fuel efficient Cascadia, six miles per gallon. Yep, on the on the lowest end would be six. Mm -hmm. So I used two thousand miles round trip. I compared four miles per gallon versus six miles per gallon, and at four dollars and five cents a gallon of diesel, and that is a difference of $674 per, per round trip, per round trip, 2000 miles. Hmm. So <laughs> now I know that this is not going to, this is not going to be exactly accurate because you're not going to do, do this much mileage, but how many 2000 mile trips do you do a week? Two? Let's say, let's say two, two would be a nice, that's what everybody would like. That's kind of what you hope for okay. the average. So you do two of those a week. So I'm just going to double 674. So that means $148 fuel savings between four miles per gallon to six miles per gallon. 
per week if you're doing two of those trips per week. So $1,350 per week. If you times that by four, yeah, that's $5,400 $5, a month. <laughs> times that by a year, that ends up being almost $65,000 a year. Now, you're likely not going to be doing $4,000 a week every week for the whole year. But the illustration goes to show you that the difference between four miles per gallon and six miles per gallon, mm -hmm. you know, with that little, those little numbers was $65,000. Yep. And so I'll, I'll just dispel right now if you're listening and say, well, when you're hauling cattle, you're driving home empty. So you're not going to get four empty. No, you're, you're not. You're probably going to get in a classic unaerodynamic truck. Yeah. You're probably going to get, you know, closer to six, but I'm going to get closer to eight. So it stays that two mile per gallon difference follows you whether you're loaded or empty as you're rolling along. So, so the point of the discussion we're going to be going into is not, well, you know, if you're empty or you're full or you're this or you're that, the whole point of the discussion is, is if you can be more fuel efficient with your, your equipment and your driving habits, that can translate into some, some pretty aggressive savings like or wealth. money like yeah. like wealth i mean <laughs> how many people don't make sixty five thousand dollars a year in a year and you're talking you can save that just save that not make that save that on top of what you already make so uh, particularly independent drivers who are doing their whole they're doing everything themselves mm -hmm. you know this is this is really going to be an important an important topic jackson gets a compulsive about his <laughs> mile, his I fuel do. mileage. I do. And I like it because I can joke with him a little <laughs> bit about it, but not everyone's going to do everything that Jackson does, but because he's so compulsive about it, he is always trying new things, monitoring, calculating. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't do all these, but you end up getting one mile per gallon more. Okay. So instead of $70,000, you get $35,000. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> Think about these things and, you know, if, if you can, if you're driving, you can institute some of these. We're not joking. That's a boat right I, at the I end know. of the year. I know. Or fill in the blank. So here's, this is my favorite, my fa In fact, I just want, I want to let you guys know this if you're listening. And this, this is a hard topic and this is, this is actually going to rub a lot of people wrong that are listening. There's people that have probably listened to this podcast that are like, these guys are great and they're going to get done with this and they're going to be a little torqued. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry that you're so emotional. <laughs> it's just, it evokes some angry emotions because if you're honest with yourself, you realize that you've wasted a lot of money for a lot of years. Thankfully, this is something I, I only trucked about half of my trucking career in the dark, so to speak, before I realized this. So it doesn't sting quite so bad, but I, I myself wasted thousands of dollars for several years because I didn't come to terms. I'm going to throw you a little bone on that though. Mm -hmm. A big part of your uh, fuelage savings is slowing down. The first half of your career, your trucks only went 55 miles per hour <laughs> maxed out. True. So, so you couldn't do a whole lot of slowing down. <laughs> you listened to all the, all the previous episodes of, uh, of Jackson piecing together trucks. A lot of those trucks didn't. They, they were not capable. So, so I guess you could find a little solace in that. Oh, that is true. Yep. We'd hit 65 on the downhill side. <laughs> 
But really, for this to ever click for you, the the main thing that you have to first wrap your mind around is you got to let go of your emotions. If you are controlled by your emotions, you will never come to realize these savings. And so when I get teased about it, you know, oh, you're driving that old plastic. That's what ever. That's the that's the big joke. Yeah, driving that old plastic truck. Well, I got news for everybody. All the trucks today are plastic, okay? The 2021 Peterbilt 389, it's a beauty that we haul race cars with. The interior is made from the same plastic now that my Cascadia is made out of. That's just how everything's gone to. But it's the joke because in the old days, the classic trucks did have, you know, metal and wood and stuff inside them. They, they were really classy and like well-finished. And you're like, dang, this is class. But anyway... You have to, when I get teased about driving the plastic truck, I like to respond with, that's okay. Just, you know, you struggle with being emotional. You're an emotional man. You're emotional about things. I can understand why you can't drive a plastic truck. <laughs> and of course I'm teasing because I have classic trucks. I have some of the most beautiful wonders out there. But you can these. buy those because you <laughs> do all your work with the plastic yeah, truck. Yeah, I do my work with the plastic truck. and You save them fuel money and I, go buy your classic. I get a lot of messages from people saying, why, when, when, how come you're not running them? Man, if I had them cab overs, I'd be running them. Why? I would too, but I can't afford to right now, is what I say. I love them. They're fun. They're classic. They're nostalgic. But when fuel's the price that it is right now, I'll be honest, I can't, I can't, I can't afford. Can I pay for the diesel? Yeah, of course. But can I afford in my mind? No, because I'm so compulsive about it now that every hour I'm driving down the road going, I'm getting four miles of the gallon right now. I'm getting 4.2 miles of the gallon right now. It just eats me alive. And I, I'm like, no, I'll, I'll take out an Aerodyne. I'll drive one of my aerodynamic trucks. So. Before you go any further, what do you mean when you say you got to not be emotional? What the biggest thing that keeps people from driving an aerodynamic truck is that I guess they, I've had it said to me before, I wouldn't be caught dead driving an aerodyne. And for those of you that don't understand this difference, I should explain this right off the bat. There's two kinds of semis out there. There's classic semis, which are the ones that you, you typically see and you go, that's a cool truck. You don't say that's a sleek truck. You would look at it and go, that thing is bad to the bone. I mean, look at the chrome and the, it's, they usually got a big, long square hood in the front, you know, and everything's real blocky and just, I mean, they're beautiful. They really stir the emotions versus an aerodynamic truck is one that first and foremost focuses on aerodynamics, which would mean like a sloped hood, you know, everything's more curvy and made to flow air versus made to just look cool. So if, if you can't handle driving an aerodynamic truck and being seen in one, it's because you're emotional. Yeah. You're worried. It's kind of like air. saying you can drive an extremely masculine truck or a feminine truck. <laughs> right. Yeah, really. It really is. I, although it's funny, I'll be honest. I, I mean, I've driven the cab overs. I've had, I've had 379 Peterbilts, which are extremely classic. Had, you know, I have the cab over still and I've got some really sleek, beautiful aerodynamic trucks and the aerodynes actually get a put together, beautiful aerodynamic truck draws more comments from regular people, draws no comments from truck trucking people, but from everyday Joe's, it's hilarious because they'll be like, man, that is, that's just a sleek truck. And you're like, 
<laughs> I wish I could record you saying that for people to to hear because in the trucking world it is not. It is you know you're definitely like what's he what's he driving? Ugh. So yeah, emotions. And I, and I will say, Rooster, our dad, the two trucks that he drove for our whole life. Zero anything cool. Nothing classic. Zero. Nothing classic about him. Nothing aerodynamic about him. Nothing sleek about. Him. Just, I mean, so they were they were used specifically for a job, mm-hmm. and not nothing else involved with it. Like like you said, you couldn't even get him to put a aluminum wheels. No, just no. I mean, Mm-mm. just the the cheapest utilitarian. So you do come from a little bit of background where you you're not as concerned with how it looks, but yet you really appreciate and would like. Right. Cause I was the one that was always like, dad, can you please, can we just please get some Chrome nut covers for your wheels? And all these guys, they put them on their trucks and they look nice. They're like 30 cents a piece back then or something. He's like, that's a waste of money. And I'm like, but please. (laughs) And I finally talked him in to it and he put, he let me put Chrome nut covers over his steel wheels. Which, if you're trucking out there, it'd make you smile and laugh at me at eight years old, just over the moon to have some chrome covers on some steel wheels on his old, on his old rattled out cab over. Okay. So anyway, the emotional part is just emotionally being able to be okay being in a Yeah, to not care what truck. other people think. You got to be emotionally strong enough. And this sounds so silly. It sounds like we're in therapy, but you have to be emotionally strong enough. To not care less what other people think. Like, ha, yeah, I'm driving a Freightliner Cascadia, the most like aerodyne, ha, 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 look at what he's driving truck ever made. But look at the money that saved me. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I don't care. I have zero emotion attached to that comment. It's <laughs> so, so the first step of getting better fuel mileage <laughs> is to emotion. not be emotional. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it sounds silly, but it's true. Hey, you you have someone that you has driven for you, you drive with, a Cody. Yeah. If I remember right, he used to have a real, real fancy Peterbilt. Yep. I mean, just the, 379, just baby. the bad to the bone. Mm-hmm. I mean, beautiful truck. Beautiful. And he's now driving your Cascadia? Yeah. He, in fact, before he started driving, when he sold his truck and started driving for me, he got rid of his 379 and bought a Aerodyne Kenworth to haul cows with. Because he saw what was going on over on my side and was like, huh, hmm. And then he kind of stepped into this deal where this truck just popped up for a great deal. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And, and then he became so compulsive and he still is. He drives for me and he's still compulsive. He'll text you at midnight and be like, oh, huh, I just fueled up. I got 6.8 miles to the gallon loaded all the way to Nebraska from Idaho. I mean, and he, you know, he loves it. So it definitely is something that once you start following it becomes compulsive <laughs> sure to where you you just you always want to know and track and, and understand because i like watching my money grow and it's a very easy way to watch your money grow to the tune of you know three to six hundred dollars a week you yeah. know versus what i'd been driving let me get through this here a little bit we're gonna we're gonna kind of dip into this and it's like you say it'll be a reoccurring thing But I wanted to start with, I wrote down a few notes here. I hear this a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I hear it. I see it on social media posts. I've seen little short videos of it on social media. And it is truckers saying that trucking is a lifestyle. Trucking is a lifestyle. It's not a business. It's a lifestyle. Okay, so... 
I was like, I, under, I understand that feeling. What they mean by that is that, you know, it's in your blood. Trucking in my blood, there's nobody that's more born and bred, wanted to truck his whole life than me. I mean, since I was potty trained on the truck and I never, I never faltered from it. Just it's all I ever wanted. So in that term, yeah, it's something that I always wanted. But if you actually be honest about trucking is a lifestyle, let's talk about the lifestyle for a second. The lifestyle that I live when I'm trucking hard and trying to, then why do I truck hard? It's, it's to create something for my family that will carry us into the future, so to speak. So when I'm trucking hard to achieve my goals, what is the lifestyle? I, and every trucker can agree with this. I've missed virtually all of my kids' birthdays. You know, you might, when I get home, we'll have, we'll go out for birthday dinner, but it's never on their birthday. Never, hardly ever celebrated a child's birthday on their birthday. I've missed, you know, a lot of couples have weekly date nights, you know, where they try to go out together. I have. That's out the window. I know our dad missed some of his children's births. Yeah, dad. Yeah. Rooster missed some births. And I mean, he tried his best to get there. It was similar to your airplane situations and blizzards. But regardless, the point is he missed. Sure, he had a plan to be there, but he missed. You're sitting alone. You spend most of your life alone in a box watching the world go by you as you travel through it. You eat alone. You sleep alone. You just live a life of solitude. Just when you're talking about just watching the world go by you, this is a complete side note, but it reminds me. Mm -hmm. There was a time Jackson and I did a custom fencing job in Wyoming and we, we put in a lot of fence in a short amount of time. And Jackson made the comment to me that he could never be a custom fencer as a full-time job because just too monotonous pounding posts. (laughs) And what, what was my response? He said, well, is it a whole lot different than pounding lines down the highway? So well, Jackson, no. it's a good thing you decided not to be a uh, custom fencer because that <laughs> pounding post is so monotonous because <laughs> it's a lot more exciting watching those those are reflectors or lines oh, that someone yeah. else pounded or painted go by. Yep, that was very true. That was the first time I. That's when I. This was that was all kind of at the time I started to convert to to realizing hmm, this is an interesting lifestyle. If we're honest with ourselves. As truckers, if you're being honest with yourself, the lifestyle that we live while we're trucking hard is, it's horrible. It's awful. It's so unhealthy. It's physically unhealthy. It's unhealthy. It's not, but we do it and we do it because we're trying to achieve something, right? So if you're someone that's catching yourself out there saying, man, I I just could never give up this lifestyle. It's kind of dangerous ground to walk on. I think it's, it's almost like, well, you, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're diverging from miles per gallon, mm-hmm. but I want to come at this from a little different, maybe devil's advocate, advocate a little bit. Do you think that word lifestyle is actually accurate for what people are meaning? And I say this in that could, could the word identity be interchanged or you are not? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books. And one thing that really interests me is, is war stories. I've, I've liked, I've liked reading, you know, stories of our involvement in conflicts, but with the last 20 years of the global war on terror, there are many more 
particularly special forces guys now who, who have podcasts, who have books that are coming out. It's an interesting thing to hear them speak so lovingly of being at war and at the same time talk about how horrible it was as well and how, how much damaging it has been to them, to their, fit, their, their mental Mm-hmm. Their, their, their mental health, their physical health, their families, a lot of them have, you know, been through multiple divorces. So I, you know, a war fighting is a lifestyle. Trucking is a lifestyle that looks at glowing versus like they have strong identity and connection to their, their role or their experience as a, as a soldier, as a special forces, you know, operator. Yet they, they are very aware that the lifestyle is extremely destructive mm-hmm. if it was a lifestyle. but. Do you think that, that that word lifestyle is actually not the correct word for what someone's trying to describe? It's more trucking is my identity because there's so much, there's so much around trucking, especially your mentors and the people you look up to who helped you develop who you are because they were involved with trucking. The lifestyle wasn't great, but some of the, the values and the, the lessons and the things you take away from having to have been involved with that are extremely beneficial. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, we listen to like the stories of, you know, when Billy Jack and, and Rooster were talking and I come away from that a little bit depressed isn't the right word, but a little bit down They're like, man, I could never, I can't ever, I'll never have a chance to experience things like that. Yet mm-hmm. those stories, they would never want their kids to experience. Right. It's, it's horrible, <laughs> right. horrible, but you come away. So, so I guess what I'm, I'm saying is when you people say trucking is a lifestyle, I think there are people who probably are trying to, to, to glamorize, say, look what I'm doing. My trucking is my lifestyle mm-hmm. is, is kind of trying to, to attach themselves to that. But I think people who really come back at, come from a different spot that's meaningful. I think it's not the word lifestyle is being used incorrectly and that might not be what's yeah, being meant. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you picked that out because that's, that is pretty enlightening. I think it's a, I'm glad you share that with everyone because you're, you're correct. It is totally misused. It's not, it's why dad didn't want me to become a trucker. He's like, and it's why all these old guys are like, I oh, don't, don't truck, don't truck because the lifestyle is horrible, but, but it's the identity of that trucking that what you've been through is what, they what they want and like i could never quit trucking i'll truck forever and ever in some form in some capacity but trucking like i've trucked the last six seven eight years it's uh -uh. it's not a great lifestyle it's horrible but it's a great identity great identity wouldn't trade the identity it's like you wouldn't you know (laughs) you wouldn't trade it for nothing but i'll never go and as we talked about a an overarching desire for us in, in starting this podcast is we, we've never talked about, we want to promote the trucking lifestyle, mm-hmm. but we have talked about, we want truckers to have an identity that they can be proud of, that they can mm-hmm. recognize as being extremely beneficial, useful, and also understand that that commitment to what they do actually is a, is very character building. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point. So like like rooster would, he never would want his kids to be the lifestyle of trucking, mm -hmm. but the things that, that made our dad who he is and a lot of the things that have made you who you are, Mm -hmm. I don't think were possible without the going through that, the difficulties, the struggles that come 
you can't get in other places without trucking. It, it's a very, a lot of that junk of the lifestyle you're talking about, you can't recreate the character and the, the soul building aspects of that. Right. And so I guess, I guess what I'm coming around to is I'm talking myself to the other side yeah. here is we don't want people to not want to be truckers and want to be involved with it mm-hmm. because the lifestyle isn't great. We want people to realize, yeah, the lifestyle is not great, but you are going to create identity and you're going to create a stability for yourself mentally, emotionally, so financially. And, w- and that's a good come around because what it made me realize is somebody, like somebody has to do this, right? Somebody has to haul cows. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to go through those struggles year after year. And I realized how awful it is. And one, at some point it clicked for me. It made me realize if I'm going to go through this, I'm going to come out the other end as on top as humanly possible financially. Okay. So I more or less, I made a deal with my wife some years ago that like, all right, you give me like, give me five more years of insanity trucking wise. This lifestyle I just described, give me five more years of that. And at the end of that five years, I will be to point B financially. And that's when I'll begin my, like my cool down, so to speak, as far as how many miles I'm putting on. And that's kind of at the same time that, you know, after those five years, my kids are going to be getting to the age where they need me around. And so I realize this is the time I have now. How do I maximize? Because there's a, there's an income ceiling, so to speak. You can only drive so many hours a day. And you've mentioned this before. You can only drive so many hours in a day. And I realize this and I only have so many years to accomplish these financial goals. So what do I need to do to maximize that time? And that's when I started to do some numbers on mileage and aerodynamics because I thought if I'm going to go through this horrible lifestyle and suffering and I'm going to make my family suffer and I'm going to make my kids suffer and I'm going to sacrifice a lot of relationships and put a lot of things on thin ice, I better not come out on the other end broke because then what was it all for? I've got the identity. I did the deal. But for what? Like you've got to have something to show for it at the other end. Otherwise, it was really unfair to everybody around you. you. You really mistreated people around you inadvertently. It's not like you meant to, but you got caught up in, in things. And this is where, when I talk about the classics and the emotions, if you get caught up in this quote unquote lifestyle of cool and classy above all else, there's another phrase that people use. It's, <laughs> they say it's about smiles per gallon, not miles per gallon. And it's, mm. it's just, you know, kind of a funny phrase. Like, man, I'm just making smiles out here. And, and it's true and it's funny and all that. But if you're serious about it, unfortunately, a lot of people truly are out there just for the smiles per gallon. They're like, it's not a business. It can be both. You can go out. You can have an incredible business. You can sock away so much money for your family. And you can still gain the identity. You can still suffer through that that life building experience, those years that Rooster went through that I'm have gone slash am going through, but it all ultimately boiled down to, to dollars and cents. 
because I love trucking as, as much or more than 99% of any trucker on the road. I promise you, like, there's nobody that wants to drive more than I do. But above that is I love business and I love to be efficient and I love to generate. And so how am I going to do that? When you go and do a job, whatever it is, let's say you got to take something apart, a piece of equipment, your tractor breaks down and you need to remove some pieces and parts to remove those pieces and parts. You want to use the best tool for the job, right? So you need to undo a bunch of different size nuts off of bolts. You wouldn't take a crescent wrench out there. I mean, you could, I guess it would work, get you by, but it's not the way it's not the best tool for the job. Use the best tool for the job and your life's always, it's always easier, right? So in that vein, I also got to thinking about why, why did all the old timers, why did they truck? Why did rooster truck? It was to get out of a huge financial bind. Why did Billy Jack start trucking? Because that was in the eighties during the, the inflation crisis families, you know, in a huge financial going to lose everything. They went to trucking. All these truckers from the Midwest, they were all in the same boat. They were all about to lose. Remember when you were doing dental work out in the oil field? How many times did you meet someone in the chair that was like, I used to be a such and such. And with the big economic collapse that happened, like, what was that like 08? They're like, I'm, I got my CDL and I came to the oil field. Did you come across that? Oh yeah, all the time. All the time. So this lifestyle for most of the old school people, it came as a, I'm trying to get my family out of a bind. I'm trying to create something. I'm trying to subsidize the farm or the ranch, or I've lost my business and there's an oil boom in North Dakota. I'm going out there. That's why so many people were driven to trucking in the first place. It wasn't because, man, those big trucks are sure cool. I'd love to drive a Peterbilt someday. Despite what everybody thinks about old school trucking, Old school trucking was born out of financial hardship. And that's something that a lot of people just don't experience this day. They go, man, I, I just, I, I love a truck. My first truck. And I can't tell you how many first time truckers are like, man, I bought my first truck. It's a 389 Peterbilt long nose. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't even know, man. Like you don't deserve that truck. You don't know. You don't know what it should take to get there. Like you didn't, you didn't pay your dues. You didn't go through 15 pile driver, million and a half mile trucks that you're just praying would get you just far enough to get your cattle off before the engine's going to blow up or whatever. They hadn't gone through that, but that's what so much of this old, it was all born out of finances and, and, and things. And when I realized that I went, okay, well let's do some math. Now at this time in my life, I was driving, I still have it. It's that the model is a, it's a 1989 362. Peterbilt cab over. Beautiful. Black and white. It's the one I've gone taken with Diesel Brothers on their YouTube channel. I drove that truck over the road for like two years and I was driving it. I had sold one of my other classic trucks off because I wasn't using it much. And so I'm just driving this cab over thinking, you know what? It's a good old truck. It's getting me by. And I'm putting all these miles on this truck and getting hauling cattle, getting, you know, I averaged probably because I drive real easy. And we're not going to have time to get into the specifics of how to get better fuel mileage on this episode, but this is going to be kind of a nice lead in to, to come back to it later. I'm getting 
about 4.8 miles per gallon. And I'm, I'm going to give you the instance. Luke gave you some, some good broad numbers there to early on to start this little conversation. I was averaging 4.8 miles per gallon with that cab over, driving real slow and easy and, and being careful. I had seen this beautiful Freightliner Cascadia. It was a one owner trade-in sitting in Billings at the Freightliner dealer. I'd drive by it like three or four times a week hauling cattle through Billings, sitting right on the freeway. So I started going, man, I wonder what it is about these new trucks. And I'd always been like an Aerodyne and newer and blech. But I was needing to spend some tax money that year. And I got going, you know what? Why don't we just do this? Everyone's afraid to try buying one of these aerodynamic trucks and hauling cows with it. I'm just going to do it. it. Worst case, I can't stand it. I'll sell the truck. Maybe I'll lose twenty, thirty thousand dollars worst case scenario and whatever. Now at least I know that I'll never do that again. New trucks, aerodynamic stuff, blech, stay away. It was gross. So I went and we made a deal on this Freightliner Cascadia. And I hooked it up to my cow trailer and I started hauling cows. And you can imagine this was in two thousand nine. 19. So this was four years ago. Not many aerodynamic trucks hauling cattle at that point. You're seeing more of them now with the fuel crisis, but I hook on, I start hauling cows with this, with this Cascadia. And what does my fuel mileage do? I get up to 6.5 is about my average. Okay. So now I'm going to run you some numbers. And this is my, my very specific experience. Okay. This is based on going from a cab over. Why aren't you driving your cab over? Going from my cab over to this Cascadia, I drive roughly 125,000 miles a year at this stage. So at 4.8 miles per gallon versus 6.5 miles per gallon, I use 26,000 gallons of diesel. Driving that cab over a year versus in the Cascadia at 6.5, burning 19,000 gallons. So it actually it comes to an exact difference of 6,800 gallons of diesel difference, okay? So at four, mile, at $4 a gallon, by switching from this old cab over to this Cascadia, I save $27,250. At $5 a gallon, I save $34,000. At $3 a gallon, which is kind of where when fuel was cheaper, I'm still saving just a hair over $20,000. And I've been doing this for the last, basically the last four years now. How much did you pay for the Cascadia? At the time I paid, I think I paid 70,000 for it. So basically in three years, just the fuel. Yeah. So your fuel savings, I know you don't finance stuff. Right. But, but if you did finance yeah. that, your fuel savings would pay for pay, your truck. It would pay your monthly payment. So if you want to take that example that you just gave and <laughs> take it a step further. Yes. So <laughs> it's like if you drove by a truck dealership and they had a, a deal up that said, trade your truck in, buy one of these and it's free. <laughs> would you come and get a free truck? That's what it is. It's free. And you're like, well, of course, but it requires you having to remove those emotions and go, well, I'm, I'm going from a classic truck that everyone's taking pictures of in the truck stop all the time to a truck that people are going to laugh at me for driving. <laughs> but you know, when you're talking that 20, 25 to $30,000 a year fuel savings, I don't care what people say. 
and, and he, again, here I am. If I'm, if I've got so many years to really hit it uh, in my five year example, that's a hundred and you know, almost $150,000 more than I'm bringing home over this course of time. It, you know, if it was like, Oh yeah, you know, you're going to save three or $4,000 a year driving an aerodyne. Like, yeah, yeah, it's probably not worth the hassle of being teased and whatever. But when you're talking these kind of numbers, I mean, you can buy a lot of boats for 30 grand. Well, <laughs> you can buy a lot of cab over trucks for 30 grand. You know, when you and Weston sat down and talked about kind of your, your origins, mm-hmm. you were able to get started real cheaply yeah. by piecing some trucks together. And I mean, that's a huge jump to get started with, with how, how cheap you could get some trucks up and running off the ground. If you get an, a fuel efficient truck, you're getting started cheaper than what you did right, right. away because you're, you're not, you will pay for the truck with the fuel savings. Right. Now I, I will say a difference is you couldn't jump right in from when you got started doing 125,000 miles a year. Right. You, so your you savings to, are going to be way less. Yeah. You had to build yep. up to that. Yep. So starting with a real cheap truck that you started with was appropriate to the driving you were doing. But still the, the point is there that you drive an, a fuel efficient truck, you eliminated a giant cost or barrier to independent trucking. And that's the cost of your truck. Right. That's, I mean, it's, it's everything. And you know, there's, there's, there's other variables and, and there's a lot of people listening. I, I want to get this out so that you're not getting all these messages of saying, well, this doesn't apply. Cause immediately people are like, well, that doesn't, I know this doesn't fit everybody. So for example, if you're hauling, you know, mega loads that if you're hauling 115, 20, 30, 40,000 pound loads. Okay. You're going to get horrible fuel mileage, regardless of what you're driving. Aerodynamics are not going to play a part in it. So this, when I, when I'm giving you these numbers and I'm talking about this, this is in terms of general, typical over the road trucking in the United States. We have a lot of listeners from Canada and around that, that this isn't necessarily going to apply to. I know that. Take it as this, some principles and ideas to think about. Just food for thought. And the thing is, it's not, this isn't like, oh, it's, well, it's your opinion that that works. This isn't an opinion. These notes I shared with you was, is my factual life. Okay. It's not an opinion that I have. This is what happened to me. So I can have, well, they always, there's those memes and stuff with like, get you a girl that can do both. Right. You know, like they want a girl that can wrench on a car. They want a girl that can rope and ride, but also put on high heels and go to town. Getting an aerodynamic truck allows you to have a trucking lifestyle that gets you both. You can use this money that you save to provide a better life for your family. You can use some of the savings to buy that, that old classic truck project that you've, you always wanted to get that cab over. Boy, I'd love to restore a cab over. Get you an aerodynamic truck and you'll have all the money you ever want, not only to buy it, but to fund the entire project. It's just, like you said, it's just food. For, just think about it. Don't just don't get all mad about it. Relax. Take a breath. And just let it marinate a little bit. Just think on it. So your buddy, Taylor Moyer, NASCAR crew chief, when he was on, he, he was pretty into the, the rotational grazing, a little bit alternative thoughts on ranching. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. <laughs> makes my head want to explode is that there are people who make a lot of money ranching mm-hmm. for the most part around where we live. If you pay back your operating loan and you're a successful rancher, 
That that's yeah, that's that's the bar. <laughs> that's the bar with ranching in general. Yep. Any other business, that is a horrible business. <laughs> so there are a lot of people who have figured out how to do things where you are not just paying off your operating loan with ranching. You're mm-hmm. you're doing well. You're doing things that are are increasing the the productivity of your herd, of your land, of a huge number of things. And these people have got to this point because they've thought differently than what everyone else does. And they will then start to share what they do. And some people will take what they hear or what they see them do. And they'll figure out and look at their own situation. How can I apply this? Mm -hmm. And they'll kick it over and they'll think about it and they'll, you know, mull it over. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work because you have an average temperature of 50 degrees year round. (laughs) And here you have half the year 50 below. Some things just don't work. But by taking what other people are doing successfully and discounting it immediately, is such a stupid way to do things. Yeah. Take and so this. Oh my! Back to this ranching. There are so many ranchers who will not even entertain thinking about what people are having a lot of success do because that the first thing is that'll never work here. That'll never work. They don't even think about it. They and just so, say wait, it. It's like, first thing out of their mouth. Look and listen, and then and see because yeah, it probably isn't going to totally apply. But what if you can take one little nugget of that? And then you go over to this guy over here and you take one little nugget and pretty soon you may have actually reinvigorated your whole system in, in as well, doing very well for yourself. Yeah. So back to what we're saying is, yes, everything Jackson does is not going to be 100% right on for everyone. Of course not. But he's been able to do very well with it. And I think it behooves everyone to just listen about it and think and see, is there anything that's going on here that I, that I actually can apply to what I'm doing? Because I mean, if you can save yourself a little bit of money and you can, I mean, it, it leads to, it leads to wealth development, to growth. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I'm sure we'll get comments or Jackson probably will get yeah, comments. Yeah. And I do, when I post stuff on Instagram, <laughs> I'll post like, Hey guys, I, like I got nine miles to the gallon coming home from Minnesota with my hopper empty i was empty but i was like people can't get there with their diesel pickup pulling a trailer and i got it <laughs> with, the, with a semi you know and and i got i got messages and, and you're like hey, yeah okay i'd heard i'd heard once the conquest of the americas and other that there was i need to think for just a second how this was put a lot of a lot of nations or empires or whatever that had huge conquests through history the americas the roman empire whatever they would go into places and they would take technology from everywhere bits and pieces of technology and apply it a little bit here a little bit there a little bit there until they become a potent force and they would come into civilizations like for instance the 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 european conquest of the the americas for instance you had native americans from from north america all the way down through south america who live very isolated existence and they were not gathering outside technology and bringing it in to strengthen and better their civilization, whether it's through farming, mm-hmm. through military, you know, aggression or defense. And you had these, these European countries that were spreading out in the world who had, were just bringing technology 
from everywhere, metal making here, explosive making here, shipbuilding here. And they brought it all together and they were taking pieces and they created something very potent. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's, that's with, with everything we should do in life and whatever industry that we're doing, whether it's ranching, trucking, dentistry or whatever is if someone's having success with something, the first comment you put on Instagram or YouTube or what at Twitter, whatever is not immediately that stupid or <laughs> I can't do this or that. It's like, tell me more about that. Yeah. Just because if someone is doing something that is progressing them and it can progress you, why would, why would you want to immediately attack that? Anyway, I guess we're anticipating that people might not like some of the things that are coming with your miles per gallon because you've yeah. been, you've been dealing with it for a number of years. Yeah. Anyway, yep. Yep. we're out of time. We'll continue this discussion more. You guys, yeah, if, need, so here, yeah, if you do need well. to send some comments about this, you send it all. Steady at the Wheel Podcast <laughs> at Gmail. Steady at the Wheel Podcast on Instagram and also the YouTube Steady at the Wheel YouTube channel. Yep. Jackson's Wild Wild West channel on. Yep, on YouTube, you can check some, some of the trucking adventures and the fuel mileage adventures at Wild Wild West. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>